Ladies and gentlemen, in the blue corner, standing at a sleek 5'11", 245 pounds, the tumultuous tempest of technique, Thomas Lilly. And in the red corner, at a curvaceous 5'11", 315 pounds, the jovial juggernaut of judgment, John Cheryl Sheridan. A meeting of the masters of mastication turn your attention as they delve deep into all things lifting and more. This is Peak Speak. Ah! Fuck. Oh no. There's a bloodbath in here. There's gotta be a better way to get my dagger clean and shiny safely than this. This is what I used to deal with when I cut myself shaving before I knew about Manscaped. Thank you, Manscaped, for keeping my dagger slick and ready for wherever the night takes me. Manscaped is trusted by over 2 million men worldwide. Join the movement by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK. Look, it's a dangerous game to be playing, and I distinctly remember one of the earliest times I went into trimming my private area as a maybe teenager. I used scissors. It was bloody and not something I'm looking to repeat. So having something like this on hand is going to make life significantly less bloody, which is probably a good thing. That's right. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code PEAKSPEAK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com. Use the code PEAKSPEAK. Slay your worst pubes and keep your dagger clean with Manscaped. And while you're at it, keeping your dagger clean, you should probably stay relatively well caffeinated with our friends uh, Prism Coffee Co. Also Absolutely. using the code PeakSpeaked. Uh, we got our hands on some of their new instant coffee uh, mm. this week. Got a try of it. Um, I was really impressed by it. I am a renowned coffee snob. And so I have turned my nose up at the concept of instant coffee for some time, but I was really genuinely surprised at how good this stuff is for an instant coffee. It's like on par with like a, a reasonable quality filter coffee, which if you're not used to drinking filter coffee, definitely doesn't taste as good as, or it doesn't taste the same as like an espresso or, or something like that. But if you're mm. like me into a bit of black filter coffee, it's a really good option for that. And I was just speaking to one of the prison boys uh, on Instagram last night uh and the, apparently their next batch is going to be even better uh they've improved the coffee going in and um it's going to be even better again so i think we're going to get our hands on some of that soon too which is cool i'm also going to go check out their roastery at some point in the next week or so which will be cool yeah sweet uh, take some photos get, get, get some get some uh inside scoop into their process but yeah support the boys at prism coffee using the code pigspeak amazing save real life cash so slim how are you yeah yeah look i um stepped on the scales earlier uh at 119 point something while holding my phone because i realized that i was going to step on the scales under 120 and felt the need to capture that i don't think i've been under 120 since fuck it's got to be like 2015 mm -hmm. maybe maybe even earlier than that I certainly haven't been this light in a while and I'm certainly as as fit as I reckon I've ever been. Uh, I'm probably weak as fuck, but I've got no weights in my gym to try and lift anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's, 
exciting news, which is, yeah, a weird byproduct of finding a cardiovascular-based activity that I enjoy. Yeah, it's awesome, man. Well done. Um, what, What was the heaviest you got to either during powerlifting or not powerlifting? It was definitely during powerlifting. I... I remember having to cut weight for the 140s at one point. Like okay. it was only it was only a couple of kilos. Like I, I think the heaviest I've ever stepped on the scales would have been like 142, 143 maybe. Uh-huh. Uh, and I was a disgusting mess at that weight. Um, <laughs> in a way that like I look back on now and I'm a little bit horrified by. I was like you know reasonably strong for a, an eclipse lifter, um, but a disgusting mess that I am glad to see the back of. Mm-hmm. It's uh yeah, it's been interesting because I haven't really tried to lose weight. Like it hasn't been a conscious choice. I um just discovered an activity that I can do for hours at a time and really enjoy. Uh, and then only in the last maybe month or two, because I sort of just noticed my clothes starting to fit differently. I was like, hmm, these pants are a bit looser than they were last time. Uh, and then I because I just don't step on the scale very often, and was like, I was I think I was one twenty five, one twenty six. Uh, which again was had been as light as I've been in a long time. Uh, and it was at that point that I started just like occasionally making more consciously, more conscious decisions around what I'm eating and being slightly less of a fucking fat shit when it comes to my um, food choices. Because unfortunately, despite the fact that I seem to be on a downward trajectory, I'm still very much a fat kid at heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will be fighting that battle for a very long time, I think. So, yeah, it's it's really only the last month or so that it's probably accelerated a little bit just by making less gross decisions about what I put into my mouth, uh, which has been painful. Because, <laughs> again, I'm a closet fat kid. I will forever be a fat kid mm-hmm. and uh, have a hard time with willpower around food. <laughs> yeah, I know the feeling. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Amazing. But, yeah, uh, that's... Um, the- it's great, really. So we're we're gonna do Q and A on bench, and we'll get to that in a sec. Yes, there's, there's been some bench stuff happen this week. So oh, yeah, um, just nothing it, like a bit of fucking internet drama to start off a powerlifting podcast. Well, before before that, um, so for a long time, I think it's been. I think it was set in 2014. No, maybe even earlier than that. Um, but Sean Bostock has had the biggest bench in Australia for a long time at yeah, 365. Yeah, like fucking ages. Mm. And so that was broken on the weekend in the unlimited category to 365.5. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, like it's it's an interesting discussion because you've got you've got equipped, so you've got single ply and multiply. Um, and can you compare single and multiply? Not really. No. Like I'm, I mean, you can to some degree, but you know. The assumption should be that you can lift more weight and multiply, and the 365 yeah. was multiply. Yeah. But now we've got this new edition, which is unlimited. Mm. And at its heart, um, Leroy is the guy's name. Uh, congratulations, Leroy. He broke that record. Yeah, super six- impressive bench too. It wasn't like a, a like sometimes equipped bench records can get a little bit on the shonky side and like just barely passed with some favorable judging. It was, mm. it was a good lift. He fucking worked for it too. Like he missed his first two attempts. Yeah, right. He got that on his third. Um, Which in itself is a fucking feat. Benching equipped and like coming out after two misses facing the prospect of a third miss is, yeah, not easy. And it's a physically demanding thing. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious, like, as in, I'm curious to have a play in one of these unlimited shirts and see what the real difference is. Um, well, because the thing is, multiply is for, depending on which federation you compete in, is effectively unlimited. But I know Bostock did his uh, 365, I think he did it in a metal jack. Yeah, the orange one. Yeah. Um, and before that, I think he was benching metal shirts. But. Mm. They're like, I think three ply. It is unlimited in terms of the plies, but it's there are still like parameters around it. Whereas yeah, in the unlimited division, yeah. you can the the shirts are essentially a, a super super supercharged slingshot, and you can wear a slingshot underneath it as well. Yeah, see that like, I'm all for some really stupid equipment when it comes to lifting heavy weights, but I feel like there's got to be a line somewhere. I'm not really sure where you draw that line. I mean, I only ever squatted in a multiply suit. I didn't even put briefs on because it terrified me. I did it mm. once and was like, oh my God, I'm going to die. <laughs> and so I took the briefs off and just stuck with squatting in my multiply suit. Yeah. See, when I did multiply, I had to wear briefs to fill out the suit. The suit was yeah. too big for me. Um, so I did. I, I wore briefs and a suit. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not here to talk shit on, no, on the unlimited division. I'm just, I'm really curious because I can't speak to it without trying it for myself. I'm really curious to see how different it is to, I, I only know single ply benching. I've never used a multiply shirt. I've only yeah. ever done single ply. So I'm really keen to have a try. There's a guy here that trains here, Les Rowe. Also, congratulations to Les because he um, pushed the equipped total record um, up to 1010.5 it was 1010 before by wayne hallett who did it single ply um so yeah I'm, I'm keen to jump in les's les's unlimited shirt and have a play yeah it'll, it'll certainly be interesting i um yeah i mean i just can't be bothered dealing with <laughs> the joys of equipped lifting anymore but it certainly intrigues me enough to like maybe warrant it yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah. Um, i don't know it's it's a weird discussion because at some point someone's going to get butthurt about like, oh, it's not the same. Uh, For sure. And, and like, that's always been the, like the way I describe equip lifting to people when comparing it to Raw is like, you know, the discussion around like high jump and pole vault. Both yep. are sports that test how high you can jump one. You just use a bit of equipment that makes you jump higher. Uh, that's a really simple explanation but then to have to break equip down into like oh well you can wear like one layer or you can wear multiple layers or you can wear like whatever the fuck you want as long as you're capable of performing the lift it yeah just murkies muddies the waters further mm. yeah and, and it's not unique to powerlifting i mean every sport no, is always trying to push the boundaries um, of technique yeah, and innovate yeah. and yeah yeah Anyway, um, the one that you were talking about. Yeah, but nothing like some internet butthurt drama to really get you going. Yeah, uh, so Jen Thompson, who is herself a fucking phenomenal bench presser. Probably one of the best bench pressers of all time, hands yeah, down. Yeah, like certainly in the top five, if not number one. Um, she posted a, a video taken, was it from IPF Worlds? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, of a, a raw lifter whose name I don't know because I didn't look that deeply into it, benching a with like what is a very impressive arch, you know, super wide grip, very short range of motion. And then Jen Thompson posted a video of herself with like basically a foreboard benching and was like, oh, I benched like three times over my world record and then proceeded to cop a lot of shit. <laughs> from people because she was unfairly bullying someone who's just following the rules of the sport 
And then she took the post down. Not because she felt like she was wrong or changed her opinion, but because people got upset, about it, which <laughs> was my, fa- my favourite part about it. I'm taking this down not because I was wrong, because yeah. you're all cunts. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's like, I still believe what I believe, but to satisfy yeah, you all- I'm just taking it down because I'm, I'm sick gonna, of you whinging. I'm going to do the right things. That's inherently the wrong thing. Yeah, well, exactly. How, how about don't fucking throw a lifter under the bus in the first place? Exactly, man. Like, it's not that complex. I really honestly thought in 2021, we were past hanging shit on people in the sport who are doing nothing other than maximizing their ability to take advantage of the rules. Mm-hmm. Let's just all fucking move past it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sure, if you're not a power lifter, watching someone do a super arched, wide grip, minimal ROM bench press looks a bit weird. Mm. But if you're not a winter Olympian, then watching someone chase in front of a big rolling stone on some ice with a broom looks a bit weird. Like sports that you don't know about look weird until you understand the rules behind them. And I think the argument that oh, powerlifting looks bad to other people, so we should ban archers in bench presses, is fucking stupid. The annoying thing as well is that like people who get up in arms about this seem to forget that there's not one lifter, powerlifter, at the top of the sport who has a lift like that. As in, like the people who are able to maximize the mechanics of one particular lift tend to be disadvantaged at least in one if not both of the other lifts yeah exactly. like no, no one with the best totals no one with the best formula scores in the world in the three lift sport of powerlifting has one of those benches which is why you should all go to our peak speak podcast instagram page and buy one of the you're not a bench <laughs> specialist you suck at powerlifting <laughs> t-shirts that is now available in multiple colors delivered to your door amazing all right Let's get to some of these questions, otherwise we're going to yes, be here all let's. day. Yes. Um, so we're not going to have time to answer everyone, so we'll handpick a few. We'll start with uh, Grant McVie. Uh, Grant's a legend, trains at our gym occasionally, works in the mines. His question is, how much could a gorilla bench? I don't know. It depends on whether they're allowed to arch or not. And do their feet have to be in contact with the ground? Like... How are we explaining the rules? Is it touch and go? What equipment are they allowed to use? There's too many factors. We need more information in this question. No, we don't. We just need Google. A silverback gorilla can lift 4,000 pounds, that's 1,810 kilos, on a bench press, while a well-trained man can only lift up to 401.5 kilos. Who the fuck did that experiment? Research shows that a gorilla can lift up to 27 times their full body weight. Now... That 401 kilo uh, statement is obviously equipped. So my question is, how much can a gorilla bench equipped versus raw? That's the uh, real question. Unlimited or multiplier? Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I remember going to uh, like a, an animal show at the Singapore Zoo and they got a person next to an orangutan to try and like peel a coconut. And like the person had an axe and a machete and stuff, and the orangutan just, just like, <laughs> yeah, just rips it. It's if you've ever actually hand tried to hand peel and open a coconut, it's fucked. And the yeah, pretty crazy how strong animals are. Man, yeah. where you think we're the apex predators, and then you see something like that, you're like, oh yeah, that's right. My <laughs> fake workout in a fucking gym is actually really pathetic. <laughs> I'm not like a beast. That's why I have such a problem with that idea of like, oh, I'm a beast because I lift weights. No, nah, dude, a real beast would actually just rip you in half. <laughs> <laughs> All right. 
Arian, he asks, how do you determine close grip width? A good question, because it is one of those things that gets thrown around a lot as like, oh, you should just do like some close grip benching and that'll definitely change everything. And I think a lot of people have, like certainly I've seen people where I've written in the past close grip bench or something like that. And I'm now much more careful to like clarify what I mean by that. Mm-hmm. Uh and generally, I use it in reference to their competition grip. Yeah. So, like, I might say, and for the most part, I actually tend to use mid-grip as a descriptor more than I use close grip because so many people misinterpret close grip as, like, hands as close to the edge of the knurling as they can get them. Mm. So, I tend to go with mid-grip being, like, a couple of finger widths inside your competition grip. And then I would define close grip as a couple of finger widths inside that rather than it being relative to the markings on the bar or anything like that. Because as we've talked about in all of our bench episodes previously, your grip width is largely determined by your structure and capability rather than some arbitrary marking on the bar. And so I think if you're referencing versus the rings versus knurling marks or anything like that you're doing a disservice to people by not providing a, a framework that is very variable enough to catch everyone yeah yeah i, I agree perfect answer I, I sort of um define anything closer than regular grip as close grip um but at max a fist in closer than than where you are normally any closer than that you tend to sacrifice the movement. So I, I look at it similar to like a, a deficit deadlift. It's like yeah. eventually, if when you take the deficit too yeah. far, it changes the movement and changes the purpose. Yeah. Um, so I want the close grip bench press to essentially mimic the same mechanics, but bias a little bit more range of motion. And so like you don't actually have to shift your hands in that much closer to get to what you're trying to achieve with it. Yeah, and like I said, I use like one to two fingers for a mid grip and another mm-hmm. one to two for a close grip, which, you know, that works out at a fist width in total. So I think I'm probably on basically the same path as you. Yeah. And sort of following on from that, Rosenbench asks, is it worth it to regularly change grip width um, regarding specificity, injury reduction, accommodation, etc.? I definitely think there's value in pressing of multiple grip widths and different angles and and those sort of variations probably more so in a bench than i would in like a squat or a deadlift uh because in a squat or a deadlift we tend to use like either different bars or slightly different exercises in terms of loading positions whereas bench press the the major variation tends to be in that grip width um i think arbitrarily doing it for the sake of it probably isn't very useful but mm-hmm. I do think there's certainly some value in there. And we touched on this a little bit in was it the last benching episode where we talked about uh, assistance exercises for like a really super technical, big arch, wide grip bencher versus a more flat back, mm-hmm. you know, narrower grip bench presser. So I, I definitely think there's it's worth listening to that discussion as well because I think we did a good job of highlighting what to do in, in that respect. What yeah, do you yeah. think? Yeah, like I, I, that's that's the, fir- the what you raised at the start is the first question I'd ask is like, yeah, sure, it's great to change uh, grip width for very variation's sake, um, but why don't we do that on a squat or a deadlift or something like that? Or why do we do? Or what do we do to make accommodations on those lifts? And how can we do that in a in a bench press? So primarily for me, the the reason I would program a close grip is to bias more range through the shoulders. Yep. And so, like, I wouldn't want the grip so close that it changes how the person is moving through space. 
Um, an alternative to that would be like a Duffalo bar, you know, a Buffalo bar yeah, or a McDonald bed, bar bed that, bar, yeah. yeah, to, to encourage that extra range of motion, um, essentially trying to achieve the same purpose with the close grip. And then exactly as John said, um, more specifically what we might do in the case of someone who really, um, really relies on their, their shape when they're performing the bench press that might influence how much of those grip variations that we use as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, uh, Jack Hawkins asks how to maintain arch or position if you have to unrack yourself I don't think there's any magic secret to this I think it's just practice a lot of it is about figuring out where you need to set up on the bench press relative to the bar to allow you to effectively get it out of the rack while also not losing your position and most of that it just comes from practice i will generally bench further un or set up further underneath the bar if i'm unracking it myself and then like in a competition environment or when i'm doing something heavy i'll set up a bit further out because i'm expecting a handout mm. um and accounting for that but otherwise i like like a lot of these questions i don't really have a hard answer for it it's really a case of exploring the idea and figuring out what's the best compromise between your ability to actually leverage the bar out of the rack and still hold a good shoulder position yeah yeah so i completely agree like where you are setting up on the bench is super important ideally we we buy into these like just global ideas it's similar to the bar should start halfway every foot in the deadlifts like why it's like the bar should that when you lie down on the bench the bar should be at eye level it's like should it why yeah. like yeah, think yeah, about exactly. where the bar is if you're lying down if it's level with your eyes versus where you touch on the chest and the bar should start over where you touch on your chest yeah that's like fucking it's a lot ages of horizontal away. distance yeah it's like a half a meter it's like no you probably want to set up more like so the bars in line with your chin or your neck because you don't yeah. want to take the bar out that far but that's going to be equipment dependent as well because if you've yeah. got really long hooks to pull it out of or something like that it's gonna yeah so that's certainly that was going to be the one piece of real tangible advice i wanted to offer was that the biggest mistake I pe see people make in this scenario is that they end up trying to unrack the bar from the back of the hooks. Yeah, bring it And forward. so that adds that extra... Exactly. It, it adds that extra couple of centimetres of distance and that's often the deciding factor between your ability to actually get it out and maintain a shoulder position or have to get that full protraction and get it out of there. Yeah. Because think about the whole point of like we're trying to maximize how tight we can set our shoulders in the setup we mm. want to lose as, as little of that as possible in in the unrack process the whole point of a handout is so we can maintain that and not have to lose it while we unrack exactly when you're doing it yourself that's what you're trying to achieve so you want to have the the least amount of distance to pull the bar out you want to avoid pushing the bar out as much as possible and pulling it out, like keeping your shoulders depressed and like doing a pullover to get the bar out. Mm. Um, it's a little bit easier said than done. Uh, yeah, but, for sure. You know, and it just takes practice. I always thought I like I couldn't unrack it myself, and then I just got to a position where I was kind of forced to regularly. And like, mm. equip lifting is a different beast altogether. If you can unrack it in a shirt by yourself, I'm really fucking impressed. You're yeah. probably just a much better human than I am. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, for a raw lifter. I think for the vast majority of people, you just need more practice mm. and you need a, a more deliberate approach to how you do it because ultimately, like everything in powerlifting, the more consistent you are in that process, the more repeatable it becomes. Therefore, the easier it is to just do without really thinking about it. Yep. Yep. Agree. Um, Kerid Griam asks, if I'm having trouble getting my arch, how would you recommend getting it set better? 
it's not a funny one because a lot of people will be like, oh, just fucking arch over a foam roller, um, which I've certainly seen people do at varying points. I think it all comes down to how you set it up. And again, to reference our earlier episodes on bench, we talked about basically the two differences between an on your toes and an on your on flat feet bencher being, do you set your shoulders first or do you set your feet first? So that's my first port of call. Like, how are you setting up? Is there a more effective way for you to create that arch in the setup process? Uh, And then from there, it's about how are you doing that again in a repeatable fashion that allows you to do it regularly? And is there a way for us to perhaps improve your ability to do that? You know, maybe it is setting your feet first and using the bench or the bar itself to create that leverage mm-hmm. point. Maybe it's that you're setting your feet and uh, sorry, setting your shoulders and, and doing it that way. I think, again, it's just about identifying where in that process you're struggling. I don't think I've ever successfully or had anyone where we're like, hey, the biggest thing we're going to do in your bench press training is improve your arch, and that's going to be the reason you get better at benching. Um, I tend to just focus on making sure people get stronger. It's a little bit more effective in the long run. So it's also worth not stressing too much about it as long as you can do whatever you can do consistently. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I completely agree. The devil's going to be in the details of your setup. Um, if I was to speak sort of generally as to what I tend to work the most with in terms of getting a bit more arch out of people without modifying the factors of the arch, you know, stretching hip flexors yep. and improving thoracic extension, et cetera. Like if it just, just coming down to setup, when people go through that process that John was talking about using the bar to create the arch or using the feet to push back into the arch, one of the most typical places people lose it is they feel tightness and then their body's natural inclination is to relax. So when they then get their bum down on the bench or set their shoulders on the bench, they let go of the arch uh, because it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Ch- chase discomfort, chase tightness, and you're probably forcing yourself into a bigger, better arch. Yeah. If you're not uncomfortable as you go to unrack the bar, you are 100% not tight enough. Mm-hmm. Um, Dale McLean asks, what assistant exercises work best to solve different sticking points in the bench press? Well, I think as we talked about in uh, both in the bench press episodes, but also in the, I think we talked about it in the deadlift ones as well, the the concept of sticking points being the reason you missed is one you've got to get past first. Like where you lose the bench rep is actually an indicator of something that's happened before that, which is the reason that you've lost it at that point. Uh The conventional wisdom has always been, I missed it, you know, two thirds of the way up. So it must be my triceps just falls short when you actually break down the logic behind what's going on. Because the, the point at which the bar stops is not the point that you missed it. The point at which you missed it is before that when you stopped being able to accelerate the bar and you get to then to that little bit further and it stops dead. So identifying where in that process you're missing it is important and understanding that it's probably lower than you think. And for the most part, almost all the misses that happen on the way up are because you fuck something up on the way down or on your chest. And it's almost always going to be because you've lost position in some way, shape or form as you've come down to your chest or as you go to come off your chest, something in that shoulder complex has let go in -hmm. a way that is not conducive to you then being able to continue to apply force all the way through that range. Yep. Yep. So from a, from a physics, just purely logical perspective, 
it should be a pretty linear scale in terms of where the bar uh, is hardest to move from the chest to lockout. It should just get mm. easier from the sticking point should be pushing off the chest. Yes. And it should get easier from there. So if it's getting harder or if it's slowing down or stopping at any point between the chest and lockout, it suggests to us that there's been a, a loss in position. So to answer the question, um, like, because it's a bit of a loaded question, it's suggesting that there's different sticking points that you'd use different assistance exercises yeah. for. My, my fix all is like cue the lift better, perform the lift mm. better, and then practice that by doing tempo work. Like for yep. me, it's going to be tempo work. It's going to be uh, extended range work like a duffalo press or something like that. Yeah. And then it's going to be work that emphasizes the parts that are letting go. So rose lap pull downs with a f- strong focus on full range of motion of the shoulders and guided direction as to where the shoulders should be in space at that point in time. Yeah. Uh, so a very, very super simple approach. Um, maybe not the most satisfying answer, but it's the answer that gets me Well, and this is the problem with that question is <laughs> that's the question what people want or almost all people want Spot in that scenario. Yeah, is some answer to X exercise is the reason you're missing it here. And it just isn't that complex. Like, I, it's not even that it's not that simple. It's not that complex. Mm-hmm. Like, you've, you've fucked something up technically, so you need to fix that first, and then you need to find exercises that help you emphasize those weaknesses. Mm-hmm. All right. Khan Gless, Bendigo Barbell asks, how to grip the bar... Uh, for example, how much internal rotation, squeezing hard, wrist position, etc. So again, I think this is a a byproduct of what you're doing at the shoulder. Mm-hmm. I think f- for the most part, your grip is going to be a representation of the shoulder position that you've set and maintained. I've I know there's a is it the Japanese that were like really big into yep. benching with a big in- internal rotation. Um, I've played around with that a little bit, but. Otherwise, it tends to just be more about where are your shoulders and are you still able to apply and maintain the force we need you to at the shoulder with the grip width and position that you have. Uh-huh. Yeah, so um, look look at hands as feet. Um, and so like if you think about the variable of feet on a sumo deadlift, on a conventional deadlift, on a squat, what happens when you bias towards turning your feet out more versus having them straighter? Like how does that feel at your hips? How does that change the way you're um, you're moving through space, how does that affect your cueing? How does that affect how everything feels? Same deal with with hands and wrists on uh, on bench press. So the more you twist your hands out, the more externally rotated you are, the more internal rotation torque you're going to have to create at some point. And so like that's the equivalent of turning your feet way out on squats. Anyone who's ever done that knows how sort of loose and shit that kind of feels. Yep. The Japanese grip that uh, John's referring to is the is the polar opposite of that. What they do is they internally rotate basically as much as they can till their hands are almost like parallel to the bar. Yeah. Um, so they can cover the the ring with the index finger, but have effectively their grip set an inch outside of the in, uh, the ring. So they've got like a, a crazy wide grip, and so that can work um, if the range of motion is such that. Uh, and this is purely observational like where i see it work versus not work that can work if the range of motion is such that the um, elbow joint never crosses like 45 degrees or the the shoulder never passes like 90 degrees Um, and so anyone who goes through a more normal range of motion uh, will run into the problem of not being able to create external rotation torque against that and end up just essentially dumping the bar forward and feeling really fucking weak off the chest yeah 
So it's really interesting to watch people try and emulate this with an extended range of motion. That's like standing super wide on a sumo and then turning your feet inwards. Like mm. you're just never going to be able to make your hips do what you need to do. But if you did that from a super high block pull, it would probably feel amazing. Yeah. So if you can really, really, really minimize your range of motion, get one of those, you know, bench arches that Jen Thompson hates, then, you know, maybe that'll work. The majority of you aren't going to be able to do that. And if you've ever tried the Japanese grip, fuck, it hurts. <laughs> like it it's, talks your wrist in the wrong direction so bad. And this is one of those things that I think uh, happens across all the lifts. Like people find these outliers and adopt the their technical nuance or their technical, you know, uh, discrepancies shall we call it mm-hmm. um you know things that don't fit the regular narrative suddenly become this like fancy alternative narrative mm. and it's just not always the case like the vast majority of people need to just understand the fundamental principles of these lifts and execute them effectively there is a very very small minute percentage who should be chasing minor technical improvements like mm-hmm. you know nuance nuance technical details like that most people especially most people i imagine listening to this will probably just benefit from being better at the basics rather than worrying too much about some fancy hand position or such and such yeah so i i would yeah exactly as john said i wouldn't stress over um, the angle of your hand i'd just grab it normally um, I would put more emphasis into the um, into the wrists. So when your wrists roll back, as a f- f- well, first start, the wrist position can influence the movement for sure. What's more concerning is when the wrists move during the movement. So what, what that represents is torque escaping from the shoulder. In order for torque to be maintained, you need both ends of the system to be fixed. So the shoulder's automatically uh, fixed the wrist yeah i mean your hands fixed to the barbell but you can lose that torque by moving your shoulder in space yeah uh, sorry by mo- moving your wrist in space so you want a rigid wrist squeeze the bar really tight squeeze your pinky that's that's gonna help with that um, the wrist being rolled really far back so the wrist being in, in extension is emulating a bias towards external rotation and so like what will happen is if you touch the same spot in the chest but your wrist is way more rolled back than usual that emulates touching way lower and vice versa. So if your wrist is really straight and you touch the quote-unquote right spot, that emulates touching really high. And so that changes the mechanics of your shoulders that can affect how the press looks and feels. Um, ideally, if you just grab the bar, rest it across the meaty part of your palm and squeeze really tight, it's not something you should have to think about. Yeah, exactly. That, And that's the biggest thing that I think I stress to people in what you said was that idea of having it across the meat of your palm like it's and the easiest way to demonstrate this to people is just i regularly just grab people by the forearm and then push really hard on like where their knuckles are to push their wrist into extension I'm like that's pretty unpleasant right like yeah and then i just push really hard into the meat of their palm i'm like that's pretty comfortable right like oh yeah and then they just grab the bar and it works right it's yeah. it's a really simple idea that i think again we're maybe reading too much into nuance in movement at a level that doesn't require it for sure absolutely um all right where are we at we got time for one more um Corey anderson asks how do i get past a plateau if it's a possible if it's a possible mental block stopping you this is a funny one and it's definitely one i've experienced in tends to be in more 
inexperienced lifters mm. who have not done a particularly good job of removing their emotional bias from or emotional attachment from the number on from the bar. Number. Yeah. Uh, my favorite trick, and it's genuinely one of my favorite, the favorite parts of my job is to load bars in training in the most obnoxious Just way. Dumb plates. That makes it so complex to calculate. But I just, you just use have no heaps of collars and 1.25. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I, so the the best uh, example I have of this, one of the guys that trains here, Dan, uh, was training, was like really close to his first 100 kilo bench. Like never benched 100 kilos before, but like was well capable of benching 100 kilos. Um, and so we, we were doing a coaching session one day and like we ended up with like a 20, a 10, and then like just garbage like absolutely horrific garbage plate distribution including like fractionals like one and a halfs uh-huh. ones like i i was really fucking gross about it because <laughs> he just had no idea what was on the bar and i had to do the maths quite a few times yeah, yeah. to make sure i hadn't fucked yeah <laughs> but then so we just kept putting weight on the bar and i just i was like all right cool you did that one great let's just put a bit more on don't worry about it just rest do it again you don't know what's on the bar i know what's on the bar doesn't matter just do it and then he finally did it and just fucking crushed a hundred. Like it was easy as piss. And I was like, okay, cool. What do you reckon that weighs? He's like, I have no idea. Cool. It's a hundred kilos. Amazing. I never thought I was capable of doing that. You've just broken through that barrier because you didn't know that barrier existed. Yeah. And that's the easiest way to do it. Unfortunately, that requires someone to take control in a way that removes your control. Mm. Um, you need someone else to be doing the picking of the numbers and and uh those sort of things and from my experience across the board in all lifts the that's where the the less experienced lifter benefits from a coach who is authoritarian it's like this is the number you're going to go next with in your second attempt or your third attempt Mm -hmm. in a competition environment and then as you become more experienced from my coaching perspective that relationship becomes less authoritarian and more uh discussion based right like mm-hmm. we're having a conversation about what you think you should take next and we'll confer on that because more advanced lifters are generally better at removing their emotional attachment from the number and act uh, objectively obsessing what's going on mm-hmm. so that's that's probably what's happening i think from a mental standpoint it's probably that you've attached some emotion to a number a particular number mm-hmm. and that's what needs to change it's not an easy thing to do. You can't just flick a switch and change that. But there are lots of ways to go or go about effectively changing your mindset around that. It's just going to take some time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep. I would, in terms of the the mental mental roadblock, mental plateau, I would completely echo everything you just said. I wouldn't add anything else. The only other thing I'd say is like um, just on that word plateau. A lot of people use that in terms of. In, in training like so on so reach to plateau or whatever actually I, I don't believe that with the right conditions the right programming the right technique that plateaus exist i think that mm. um you know uh, progression should be kind of indefinite i, th- I definitely think it slows down uh, but i don't think we should ever stop progressing and that if we do it's more of a reflection of, uh, on us as coaches of, of something that we need to work out we need to refine we need to get uh, better in our own methodology um, providing that all the conditions are correct, you know, the person's yeah, that, and that eating was the well, sleeping thing. well, training well, all that sort yeah. of stuff. That's worth highlighting as well. But generally, in my experience as a coach, those plateaus, we can pretty quickly uh, find either programming problems or 
issues with what's going on in life outside the gym, which mm. is far more common in my experience than anything else. For sure. All right. Well, we might leave it there. Thank you for Excellent. all your questions. Thank you. Goodbye. Bye.